0: Street, please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Okay. Oh. Oh, Recovery does exist. Oh, are we live? live? Are we live? Oh. Do you know what? I'm going to have to get used to this. We're live and I'm looking at the wrong part of the screen. So, anyway, welcome everybody. Nice to see you. Um, my name's Claire Kennedy. <laughs> Kevin Kennedy with me and the lovely Kenny Brady from Brighton, who's a, a dear friend of ours and um, one of our fabulous supporters of Kennedy Street and the, the work we do um, with our project. So what I'm going to do before I hand this session over to Kenny, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Kennedy Street are because we've, we're just in the process of re, um, restructuring our um charitable status so we've we've just become a charity so we've gone from a not-for-profit to a charity and we did that last week and who we are we're a peer-led charity and that was set up by people in recovery for individuals families and businesses that are interested in finding out more about recovery Um, and basically we're a safe place in the community where people can start to uh, explore their journey um um, a nice place to come where we can meet kindred spirits and um, connect. And um, if they want, get involved um, with personal development training, um, and routes to employment ultimately. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> really. And what, what we'll do during this chat, we will put information underneath the chat. So, if anything, if you're affected by anything during this um, chat, um, there, will, there will be some um, self-support um, numbers going across So, you know, you can always contact us Or you can always contact one of the numbers that we'll connect you with um, Yeah, so on that note, I'm going to introduce you To the
1: wonderful Kenny Brady Over to you, Kenny Hello, how are you? Thanks for inviting me I really don't know where to start I mean, where do you, where do you start? Like you said in your intro, sort of in your previous um, broadcast on live, that I'm a nurse and I'm in recovery. I'm a mental health nurse. Kevin did a lovely thing yesterday where he explained that I'd lost my registration and, and by the journey of recovery, I got it back, which was great, that preliminary preliminary talk. But um, I, before I start, I just wanted to... I work in a nursing team. And I've worked in a few over the years, and I'm currently working in probably one of the best nursing teams I've ever worked in my life. And I promised them I'd, I'd give them a shout out. I hope you don't mind. I've got their names there. I want to just quickly say hello to the person who got me in who was lovely, two of them. Her name was Rosie Drage and Alice Parr, who were fantastic. My manager's cat, and I want to say hello to the best nurses I've ever worked with. Tamara, Lucy, Daisy, Moline, B, Jan V, and Mole. And even Dom, who's new, they're working really hard at the minute. And even the patients are all kind of tightly locked in and everyone's in lockdown. And it's bad enough for us. But when you've got a mental health problem and you're going through that and you're confined to a ward anyway, it's even worse when you can't go for a cigarette and you can't go for a walk and you can't go to the shop. And you can't even go and see your mum and dad if you've got leave. There is no leave. So I just want to recognise the work they're doing. Um, They get paid. But I don't think they get paid anywhere near enough for what they're doing. Um, yeah, so anyway, like I said, I don't really know where to start, I suppose. Um, my background is that I grew, up in Lond- I grew up in London in the Irish community. My mum came over from Ireland. I don't know if you remember those days, she grew up in a convent. So when you're 16, you're kicked out. And she got kicked out with all the other 16-year-olds. And four 16-year-old girls come to London and they call themselves sisters. They weren't really sisters. Eileen, Bernadette, Margaret, and my mum, Nuala. You couldn't get an Irish, more Irish name, could you? And um, she saw the bright lights of London and just bugged off. So I went into foster care for a bit. And then I met up, I stayed with my dad in informal foster care. I stayed with my dad and I lived in a house up the road. His friends of his. she came back when I was about eight, and we had a great life from then on. But my background is that we moved to King's Cross and, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s time, I was one of those kids who had a bootlace with the key around his neck and I'd just go out when I wanted and come home when I wanted. I wasn't very good at being a kid and she wasn't very good at being a mum. We were both kids, really. And um, it, I spent quite a period of time homeless before I sorted my life out in the 90s. Early 90s, i come to Brighton and uh, everything got sorted out. I got married, bought a house. And then what happened after that is I began to drink again. See, I'm one in people who, I look at addiction and I never really included drinking it. It wasn't long before I was drinking a bottle of bourbon or a couple of bottles of bourbon a day. I remember once my wife came home and she said to me, I drank, I was on my second bottle of bourbon, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And she said, have you fed the kids? And I remember thinking up to this point, I didn't even remember I had any kids. That was how bad it got and, and um, that's how obviously that didn't last and I had to I had to begin the journey into recovery again and I got struck off from my job which is as a nurse and, and then had to go back and thank God through the way I do my recovery it's not everyone's cup of tea I go to 12 step meetings doesn't matter which one I got introduced to a way of life and a community a bit like Kennedy Street's community I got introduced to that peer group support that allowed me to, I don't know about you, but when I'm engaged with other people, my thinking is okay. It's when I'm on my own, it's not very good. I never understood. I was saying to Kevin before this started in the warm-up to this that many, many years ago, very, very clever people looked at drug addicts and alcoholics and, and they determined, you know, probably doctors, and they determined that it's a kind of form of personality disorder. There's something we can't put our finger on But we have to categorize it some way and they decided to call it a personality disorder. And I never really got that. I never really understood what they meant. But when I drink, no no doubt about it, it diminishes my character. That's a fact. My behavior goes off. It's not really about the drinking anymore. My eyes off the ball. I'm worse with money. I'm unable to work. I'm more angry. I'm resentful, bitter. More tendency to manipulate. Willicky in many ways. So, um, you know, on the, bit, on the point I'm getting to is the bit that I never understood was I thought the problem was when I was drinking. But that was never the problem. The problem's never when, when I'm drinking, in many respects, I know what I'm doing. And I'm half cut off at times, so it doesn't matter anyway. The problem really was when I was sober. Because it was from that position I decided, despite all the evidence, to do it again. So there's the insanity. So I have this issue where a good friend of mine in, in meetings always says, the truth, lie, the truth doesn't lie in my mind. The truth lies in my experience. And I never understood that. I would never look at what happened in my experience. I would believe what my mind says. And my mind says, you're doing OK now. Forget the fact you have a tendency to drink loads and loads and loads and you want to use drugs and you become a bit of an idiot. Don't worry about that. It's happened every single time you've done it. Millions of times in your history to today, it's never worked. You've always failed. But don't look at that. (coughs) Ignore that. Do it again anyway. So despite, so what I do is instead of looking at the evidence, I believe my mind. And that's what happens when I'm on my own. I have to shut this because my dog. That's what happens when I'm on my own, is I believe my mind. And And it's the mind, when I'm unconnected to other human beings, of someone with a mild personality disorder. I don't mean personality disorder in any derogatory sense. I just mean, if I don't understand I've got something wrong with my character, how on earth am I ever going to address it? Diabetics don't get better. They get well by maintaining their medication. People with illnesses don't get better. It's a bit like flu. I'm completely recovered from the flu. I'm free of the flu, but I can catch it again. And it's a bit like that with alcoholism. Today, I haven't got it. I'm connected. I'm connected to a higher power of my understanding, if you like, of some kind of power in where I go, staying connected with you, Claire, Kevin, other people in recovery, other people who don't drink, people who are on the path, people who commune together. As long as I do that, I'm okay. It's when I get this... My tendency when I get a problem is... this. What I do is... If I get an issue, my first thought is what you need to do is you need to go on, isolate and have a good think about this problem. And then I'm buggered. That's it. I'm in trouble then because I'm literally at home in the company of an idiot. Do you know what I mean? I'm giving me advice, having never succeeded in staying sober. I'm listening to me. I'm the last person I need to listen to. I need to be connected to other people. You know and i was like i was saying to claire yesterday i have this thing at work where they say because the way i do recovery is I, I talk about connection and power and other people refer to that as god that i don't know what they you know the universe or whatever it is you need to get fired it's a funny topic in psychiatry that because there's a real tendency in psychiatry to say well let's just look at scientific evidence so I've had to look through the literature and I've had to look at people and, and I've found some wonderful stories about how to explain that power using the same theorists that nurses use themselves in their approach to mm. nursing, so they can't really argue with me. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, some of that is, is faith and power is one of my favourite topics when I've worked with other nurses. Uh, but anyway that's kind of an introduction of my background and where I am and what I'm doing now like i got back on the nursing career they, um, when I went up to this hearing I was quite scared, I took three witnesses and the first question they asked me at this hearing there was three of them, it was like a court and I was with a representative and their first question was can you evidence that you've recovered from alcoholism? And I answered, I can't even evidence I've got it. How am I gonna evidence I haven't got it? I can't even prove, you can't give me a blood test or a, it's a spiritual condition. It's something in my soul and in my body. The next question was, can you guarantee you won't drink again? (laughs) Oh God. And my answer was no. I can guarantee, if I don't keep doing what I'm doing, I will definitely drink again. And lo and behold, that's actually exactly what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear realism, they wanted to hear vigilance, that I'm going to stay on the ball. That's really what they wanted to hear. And just by way of explaining what I mean when I say deep down in the soul. I'm going to use an analogy I always use when I share. I know two people, two ladies in recovery. One of them is about 17 years sober. One was 13 or 14 years sober. They were quite old, elderly. One of them got dementia. And she went into a care home. And she lost all her memory. And her sister would visit her. And every day her sister visited her, she begged her for a drink. Because once this went, well... The desire to drink was somewhere else. It wasn't in, it wasn't, it was a desire to escape the difficulties of being a human being. It was in her gut, where the lust and the hunger and the anger and the hate, that kind of stuff that we get as human beings, it's down there. So you can't stay on top of something that subconscious with a conscious mind. It's that simple. So that means. I have to not even go to the areas where I get tempted. And that means never staying alone. You know, which is what this, I suppose, is why Kevin and Claire do this fantastic thing. Because in recovery, we, we recognise that you cannot do it on your own. You need to inject yourself into a community so people know what you're talking about and empathise with what you're going through. Not just people who've just stopped drinking, but people who've been sober 20 years or whatever, like Kevin has. People who've been sober years still have to remember, because in many respects, the longer you're sober, the worse it gets. The further you get away from from that memory, the more you start having these good ideas. Well, maybe I wasn't that bad. That's a dangerous place to be. The more I'm in meetings and, and, and in recovery and talking to people in recovery, the less I seem to know in many respects. And that's a good thing. It's development for me. But, yeah, I don't know if you want to say something, Claire. I hope that's enough of an introduction, at least, i have a sip of my coffee.
0: I love you, Kenny. Um, no, I think it's amazing. I, you know, I love listening to you. I love being part of um, your life, you know, like your part of my life. Um, it's because of people like you, and the wisdom, and 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 the heart that you share. Because you know you're willing, and I think that's really important. You know that people will have heard today, and that people understand about recovery is we don't go on about our past drinking and our endeavors in drunkenness and drug drunkenness just because we want to we do it so people can identify and so people can so so we're willing to be vulnerable um and open you know and i think that you know that's beautiful what what you've said today um is powerful you know and that you're willing to do that to help other people um and i love that you really want to you know get involved and um help people in the workplace it's
1: critical it's absolutely critical i I think being out as a recovery alcoholic in you know kevin will know you'll know he's much more recognizable than me but as a nurse i think it's vital for people in normal positions policemen solicitors nurses to show this. There's, there's always been this tendency that it's something to be ashamed of. And you know what? I'm not having it. Mm. I'm simply not having it. There is nothing to be ashamed of by changing. You know, my, my first sponsor used to say to me, I won't swear, but he used to say, we get to live two lives and we get to live the explicit one first and the great one second. Mm. And there's nothing to be ashamed in that. If you're still... You know, I've met people who aren't alcoholics, they behave abominably. But because they bought a house, got married, and brought their children up, somehow that's okay. There is nothing wrong with picking yourself up off the floor. And so I think it's vital in nursing to be open. I had a phone call yesterday from a nurse who's really enduring the stigma of her team judging her because she talks about being in recovery, she talks about her her personal higher power, which she calls God, And she's getting a real, she wants to hide who she is at work. And I just said to her, You're having trouble living one life. It's going to be really difficult living two. Be yourself at work and let them do the changing. Or better still, move somewhere else. You're a nurse, there's plenty of work. Because I think it's vital to be open and out there. The days of being ashamed of this are over, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. Uh, I
2: want to say thank you for for that share. That I mean, it's uh, it's always a privilege to listen to someone's story, uh, and and it's even a bigger privilege that you you prepared to come on on on, on this one and, and tell your story story live, really, so everyone can hear. And you're right, actually, you know, it's all about honesty. Uh, I never really had any um, anonymity. Uh, my story was pretty much well told by the, the media. Uh, I think we it
1: the sun,
2: yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just kind of, I wiped my mouth with that one. I thought, well, does everyone know? So... I might as well just get on with it which which i did do um but i've got a couple of questions uh well it's two questions in one really which uh, i think is important uh, this this disease addiction is uh, affects not just the addict but the family around them mm-hmm. and i want to you know what was your relationship with i know you've 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 got you've got children what was your a relationship like with them um, with your close family members whilst you were active in your addiction. And I want to know that the change that your recovery uh, brought about with your relationship. What were the, uh, what were the, re- the, re- the rewards, so to speak, of, yeah. of being in recovery with your family?
1: I know that when I was, my first stint when I was very young was about drug addiction and being homeless, really. And my mum struggled for years trying to find some kind of help. There was nothing to help her. She'd have this boy coming in and out of her house who she loved. She didn't really want him to be doing what he was doing. She never knew how to shut him away or lock the door. She didn't have the, the support of Alan on, who may have said, Let go with love. You know, family recovery, they often say to them, Let go with love. Be caring, but don't let them step into your, you know, they're a human being in their own right. And, She never had any of that. She, she, in the old fashioned ways of being a good old Irish mum, she did her best and she suffered really. And then I'd ruin, you know, it's a funny thing, it's a funny way to say it, but when I'm sharing, sometimes I talk about, I had a sponsee message me once and asked me about a relationship. He was going to go into a relationship. And I said, be good, try not to be selfish and treat her well. And then at the end, I said, bear in mind, you're getting this advice from someone who's failed in every single relationship he's ever had, fundamentally because I was in it. I didn't do anything. It failed just because I was there. I haven't got a history of any successful relationships except the ones I've got now. So that it damaged all of them, is the truth. And there was a period of time when I didn't see my kids. Now, when I first got sober, I wasn't nursing. I'm an electrician. And I was working, as, I was in the army a bit, for a bit, so I was working as a bus driver. And I decided to just be consistent. And I remember paying my ex-wife money all the time to, to look after my daughter, but I wasn't seeing my daughter. And one day I was at work, and it was about two or three years in, and my, text, my phone went off, and I looked at the text, and she'd asked me for something stupid, like a tenner or 20 quid, she'd gone overdrawn. And, overdraw and I, I had this rule, don't ever say no. You've hurt her so much, don't ever say no. So this text arrived, and I answered it, and I said, I'll put 20 quid in your account. And she texted me back, and the text read something along the lines of, you have become the most consistent person with the most integrity in my life at the moment. And it just blew me away. Mm. And now I, I, I couldn't have done that on my own. I've got no evidence of I mean, every effort I've ever done in the past had never brought that result it's only kind of when I'm around other people now my oldest daughter lives with me not with her mum in London my youngest daughter lives with me not with her mum in work well actually she lives up the road with her boyfriend but she's here mm. we got this flat together um, That uh, it's really weird to say how did that happen and the only answer that that's not going to make any sense is I didn't do it is the answer. I I can't say how it happened, by some kind of grace, but it certainly worked by any my. I've just concentrated on what I'm doing, and all those things have come into line. Rather than me frantically trying to fix them, which has always failed, I've just concentrated on staying sober, and they've come in when they're ready. Like, there's someone visiting me today, who I haven't seen for 26 years. You just do the right thing one day at a time, and eventually
0: all those things sort of reconcile themselves, I think. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And and the ripple effects, like you say, you know, the ripple effects of addiction are massively far-reaching. But what a lot of people don't know is that the ripple effects of recovery are equally as far-reaching, which is what you just talked about. And um, if we do the, the next right thing, which, you know... Yeah it trips off the tongue kenny you know like the way you say it and the way i say it and the way kev says it because we've got some some um some length of time under our belt in recovery it sort of come it slips off the tongue but it's it's not easy is it at the beginning i mean i identify with what you're talking about but it is a it is a complete life change that you've got to you've got to surrender to isn't it
1: yeah you've Mm -hmm. only got to change one thing everything (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, um, absolutely everything, but yeah, like I said, the longer you're around, sometimes the harder it gets. Because I feel like I'm, I should be getting. Like there's some destination, and there isn't really a destination. It's this is it. I'm in it now, and I'm. And what I have to constantly remind myself is that I'm in the insane period now. This is the bit where I've made all the stupid decisions. I remember going to rehab, and they, they uh, they'd say to me, "We're going to rehabilitate it." And I'd say, well, you can't rehabilitate someone who was never habilitated in the first place. If you put me back there, I'm going to be back to the person who made these stupid decisions. And weird things would happen. I'd get to the end of a rehab and they'd give you a key ring or a certificate or... By the looks of things, you're an alcoholic. And i will go, well, I knew that coming in. <laughs> I need to know the nature of the key. I don't need to know that I am one. I need to know what it means to be one.
2: Yeah.
1: What it means is it's, it's there and it's always going to be there. I'm completely recovered, but it's there. Uh, it's a really weird kind of, you know, I like to to you, I've learned, as because I've read and being a nurse and understanding those psychological theories, I've learned how to explain that power to people at work. So I am in a better position than some who aren't able to explain it. Yeah, you can't like. It's not
2: like a computer where you can reset to last settings. No, no. it doesn't work like that. You've got. To...
1: What would we do if we could do that? Well, I, I mean, wouldn't. If I, 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 I if I could if I could fix myself completely and to go back to having just a couple of pints, then I, you know what I mean. It's like I'm never going to be able to do that.
2: No, it's 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 a question which a lot of people ask me. You know, if you could drink again, And I think. Well, I don't really want to because it it just wouldn't work. Yeah. And it, you know, and if you well, if you could drink again, but there was no, you know, that you you weren't like you were before. I go, well, no, I just don't. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I'm 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 happy making the mistakes I make now sober than I than I, I do than when I was drinking because I wouldn't know yeah.
1: what to do with it. And also, there's a a humility in recovery. There was this time when um, I thought being sober was really special. I was making lots of effort and I was doing really well. And I went home one day and it was one of my attempts at recovery. I went home and my ex-wife at the time, she said something that burned into my soul. And She said, uh, you know when you go to those meetings, Ken, and, and you're getting sober and every time you hit another month, you get a badge or a medallion? And I said, yeah. And she said, and you pat each other on the back for being sober and for not treating people badly, yeah. And and not being selfish, I said, yeah. She just looked at me and went, I've always done that. (laughs) Welcome to the dizzy heights of average. (laughs) And it made me really, but it really offended me and it made me realise that everything I do isn't to fly. It's just to be the same as everyone else outside. So there's nothing special going on here. If you're in a meeting or you're in recovery, welcome to the end of the line. You know, get off the train and just yeah. get on with your life. There's nothing. Well,
2: the work's not really done in, in, in the meeting. I mean, that's where you get what you need and you, you get to hear what you need to hear. It's, um, outside. it's outside, isn't it? It's 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 where you go outside, and it's how you deal with things, and you know, and you've got to be. I mean, I, I ask another question. I mean, how kind are you to yourself? I mean, are you are you kind to yourself?
1: I'm, I'm, it's really weird to say that because I'm becoming kinder as time goes on. It's a it's a knack, isn't it? You have to learn. It's like when you've mistreated yourself for a long time. When I first got into recovery, I was smoking. That's gone. Um, my diet was poor. That's going. I started training again. I put on a bit of weight. You learn as time goes on, you know, like like I often say, putting the bottle down is but the beginning mm. of what you have to do. And also you need to feel like you're you're going somewhere. You, human beings aren't meant to stand still. They? We're not meant to just sit in what we've got and ponder. We're meant to have got... I'm often writing a, a five-year plan or a three-year plan or I need to have some kind of direction... But yeah, I can, but there are times when you, you can let that go and you can not be very good to yourself. Mm. I'm very, very self critical sometimes. Did I say the right thing? Yeah. What is the other thing? I remember saying to someone once, I'm feeling paranoid. And he said, You're not paranoid, you're arrogant. I said, Why? He said, Why would they want to talk about you? <laughs> and I need that from people because it puts me back to the, you know. Yeah, it's
0: a great level, right? Is it?
1: Yeah. That's the kind of friends we, it's really weird, isn't it, in recovery? We've got a love that's absolutely invaluable, but it's an elbows out kind of love, isn't it? Elbows out, we will let go of you if you mess up kind of love. Yeah. Not yeah, like but, that money coddling stuff in recovery. Uh,
0: but there is, there is a deep love, isn't there? I mean, oh, yeah, definitely. Is it's, it, it's it's a- it's a real love I mean I I know I love family and I love friends and you know I love the people that I love in my life but there's there's um, an empathy and a deepness to the love that we feel for our kindred spirits and I think that's one of the main reasons I do what I do in the community is because I've been given and I mean not just the gift of recovery because it is a gift and it is precious. And like you say, you know, we're given this gift and we recover from a, from a mental, physical and emotional condition
1: that yeah. a lot of people die from, you know. And it's a lot of people I know, yeah. My best man at my wedding is dead. My best friend, who was a good friend of yours, Simon Gold, who died a couple of years ago. He was a very, very good friend of mine, bless him. They just go all of a sudden, one minute they're in your life, next minute they're gone. And... Yeah. Um, and the weird thing is, unkind people say they did it to themselves when actually they didn't. Yeah. Do it to themselves.
0: Never, ever. And and I think that's the beautiful thing about what we have for one another. You know, is that absolutely unconditional love. I've, I, you know, and I'm not saying this so people know, but I, I would do anything to help somebody um, mm-hmm. that that wants what we've got. You know, and that's that's yeah. what I believe I've been given it for. It's not for. I used to think it was to keep. I used to think, oh, fucker! Yeah.
1: thank you
0: very
1: much. I'm doing all right. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So exactly. when you are to meetings, you come for yourself, don't you? And then after a period of time when there's everything to get, you've got a programme, you've got a fellowship, you've got close friends, you've got sponsors, you've got a role. You might even have a bit of credibility if you're lucky. Hmm. And then you go to a meeting and you think one day, well, what am I doing here now? And then you realise you're there to help others, really. Hmm. If you've got what you've got and you're not willing to go back and give it away, then have you really got recovery or have you just continued to be selfish?
2: Yeah. I've always thought the secret of this is when you're discussing recovery, if you're discussing recovery with another addict or someone who is maybe still out there, they know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Immediately... Including in to what you're saying yeah um and it's 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 almost tribal i think you know a lot of people say yeah. find your tribe um yeah. and, and people just don't understand that i mean you can't say you go to football with one guy you know who likes his football who who's like uh who drinks normally you can't say to him i'm feeling a little bit sensitive today
1: yeah, yeah you can't get on a bus and go i'm feeling a bit vulnerable today yeah
2: it's not going to work is it and quite rightly because people will be freaked out yeah but that's the way it works and the moment you get that that you can actually open up with another addict because he speaks your language yeah.
1: yeah you tell your story and you hook them in yeah and then when you start to talk about the solution or the program you live or higher powers or any other kind of language around stuff that isn't I'm not, you know, 12-step orientated stuff, one, thing, any other kind of way of doing it. If you've got them hooked in because they understand you, you've lived where they've lived, they then will listen to you about solution. Yeah. We, and there's the, no shame involved. Well, there is shame
2: involved, actually. There is, there is a yeah. lot of shame involved. But yeah. um, well, the point I'm trying to make is there's someone who's watching this now is, who, is, who, is, who is, they know their drinking's not normal. Right, they know it deep down. They know it, but they're also quite functioning. They, you know, they they've got a job, they've got a, a wife, they've got children, and everything yeah. seems on the outside seems quite rosy, you know. Um, but they know their drinking's not normal. What I want to say to you now is, listen, you know, you talk to someone uh, because we can help you even get better um, and to save your life because it ain't. Because I know. I can promise you that your drinking is just gonna get worse. But I promise you also, if you if you talk to someone, um, that's gonna cost you nothing. It's a conversation. I promise you, your life will get better.
1: And don't be fooled by how much what I'd like to say so is if you are drinking, don't be fooled by how much you're drinking. Mm. It's really got nothing to do with it. It's really got more to do with the fact that when you put the drinking down, are you comfortable living your life without it or not? That's alcoholism. Like, There's a lovely bit in it, uh, it it, it doesn't matter what book, but it says, it talks about the types of alcoholics and stuff. And then it says, what about the real alcoholic? He may or may not be a heavy drinker.
2: Mm.
1: The real alcoholic might be someone who just has a couple, you know, they just can't live without alcohol. Mm. What they've got is a difficulty being who they are Without having some form of the same. Young girls do it by cutting themselves, some people do it with drugs, some people do it with lying or womanizing, or there are a million ways to, to try and not accept the deal that you were born, the person you are. If you're uncomfortable being who you are, and that leads you to doing something to make you feel a bit more comfortable, and that becomes a problem, there's a way out of that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what that's alcoholism. Alcoholism is a sober and a drunk condition, not just drunk. Yeah. the same as addiction and stuff
0: like that, you know. I mean, think that, that's really what we want to sort of cover. I mean, in our, in our project, in our charity, my heart is about the solution. I think I there's agree. loads of people out there to, uh, you know, talking about addiction. If I had a pound for every time addiction was mentioned in the press. be a very very wealthy woman but what you don't hear a lot about and that's why i'm passionate about what we're doing is we're talking about recovery we're talking about solutions because it isn't just drugs it is food it is shopping it is gambling the amount of people that i've had ring me up and now before this pandemic kenny i used to work in the business sector Mm. Uh, half of the week working with high functioning addicts and the other half of the week i'd work in the community helping people who are in recovery to start business ideas
2: yeah
0: lockdown the phone hasn't stopped i've been getting direct messages i've been getting it's unbelievable and it's not just drinking drugs people struggling with family members i had one lady ring me the other day whose family member had collapsed And she wasn't sure what he'd taken. She knew he was addicted to something, but she wasn't sure what he'd taken. So I told her she needed to ring the ambulance. Um, But to connect her with um, a group of people and then to offer some support as well. So, you know, it's really important that people know that there are solutions out there. And there's continuity in care, you know. Services are great. The NHS love it. I think what you're doing and all of your amazing frontline workers in the NHS are—I'd be paying you triple. Let's put it that way. Oh, so if you. it to me, You're
1: welcome. And if health—you need, need to be the minister for
0: health in Parliament.
1: <laughs> I'm working
0: on it. I'm working, but I for sure would. But the thing is, is. It's emergency help that you're offering. And what we know by being in recovery, long term recovery, is the continuity in care, support, love. You don't get love in a service. I know it sounds a bit like, mm, you know, but at the end of the day,
1: love yeah, is what can we do? Yeah, genuine connection is really difficult in a service. You might go and see someone who's a key worker, and the next week they've got, normally you've got someone else. There is no. There's but- no- like Kevin said, if you're speaking to someone you know has lived that life, not at work, but when they're at home with their kids. No, I don't know I, I don't know what Kevin's drinking is like. He's probably at work in Manchester whatever. But I know exactly what he was doing when he was drinking. When he talks about it, I've lived it. Yeah. So I know what it was about. I know what it's like to wake up in the morning and just really need to have one quick because of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, that uncomfortability. Yeah. Dreadful. Yeah. That, is, that is the most dreadful feeling in the world I know, I know. It's, That one point a day when I do it and I go the oh. no, only release in the day, the first one and then
0: it was crap yeah. but the reality of it is, is when you're in that place, right, and you think, I mean Kev thought he'd found the elixir to life, he thought there was a few instrumental moments in your life, weren't there Kev mm, yeah. uh, your drinking career that you thought <coughs>
2: I found the answer uh, when I discovered the morning drink, I thought yeah. this, is it. this this is it, get of um I thought this is it, this is the way forward, and when I discovered other substances that could make you drink more, yeah even happier, I thought this is it, this is what it's all about, this is what I've been missing um, yeah. but you know, but <laughs> It, there's no future in that. And, and then you get into that balancing game, like, you know, I've I've had too much, I've not had enough. and It's a so
0: same thinking, isn't it? I mean, they call yeah. it a mental condition. Yeah. And the true definition of insanity um, when you're in active addiction is repeating the same behaviour
1: expecting a different, different result. result. That, was a, that was a very, very clever person who came up. That was Freud who said that. Uh, insanity is repeating the same mistake expecting a different result. It's when you're stuck in a loop Skinner and Pavlov. It's all evidence-based stuff That you know, with dogs and rats and all this stuff. You know, that story where they would ring a bell and the dogs would salivate. They hadn't even been given anything. Yeah. Conditioned and that neural... And that's what we do. We just repeat the same thing. Because what what drinking was, really, was a temporary daily solution to being uncomfortable. Yeah. And you set that loop up and you think there's no... The neurons that give you another way out are so threadbare and you need to make them healthy and that takes time. You know, yeah. so none of that's pie in the sky, it's all evidence-based stuff.
0: And it's so true. And what I wanted to say before we um, we carry on talking to carry on chatting because I love I love chatting to people. Um if anybody has got any questions out there and um, you're not, if you're not comfortable asking them on the chat. Um we can put them on the screen anonymously anonymously. Um but if you want to direct message either myself, you can either direct Ke- uh, Kenny or Kev, we will always get back to you with um a response of some variety. I'm um, gonna
1: even- say that my daughter's watching is Molly Brady. She's gonna want she probably asked the a stupid question
2: there. Oh bless her. And Thank I you. think
1: it's worth pointing
2: out we have we have just underneath here, we have nice information going along uh, if you don't want to just take a note of the number and if you're not feeling brave now when you want to ring later on uh, everything is obviously uh, between ourselves it's all confidential uh, there is a way out and and you heard it today from Kenny yeah
0: absolutely and do you know something um yeah like you say it's great we love listening to you kenny i'd love for you to come back and talk more i mean just i mean we've covered a little bit about the journey but there's so much more to talk about there's so much more to talk about especially like mental health in recovery as well because yeah. obviously that played a big part in my life um you know once I put down the drinker I didn't drink daily I wasn't a daily drinker um and I kidded myself that because I used drugs as well as drink that I didn't have a problem it was insane it was that insane behavior behavior thinking that. You know, it was going to be different next time, but the fact of the matter is, is once I put that drink and those drugs down, everything had to stop.
1: Yeah,
0: emerged the real problem, um, and the real problem was, like you say my yeah. inability to cope with life on life's terms. and yeah. so um, now,
1: it's weird. Now, I I feel like I'm experiencing life exactly how I was intended to experience by whatever created me, whatever you believe that might be, the universe, God. I doesn't really matter what. But however I was intended to be, with all the defects, right? But <laughs> I'm crashing it as I should be, and it's like a, it's like a job. It's yeah. like I've been given a job, and sometimes it's not easy, but it gives me such a sense of pride to be able to get through it. When people say you don't smoke, no, you don't drink, no, you don't drink. no, no. I live how i meant, like how i I was intended to live before. This- so it, be- it becomes an enjoyable journey after a while, like
0: yeah. a project. And it's a struggle sometimes, you know. I, I mean, don't mean just because I've stopped drinking and drug taking that life doesn't happen. But the great thing is now is I feel, you know, with the love and support of those around me, and I think that's the difference with what it is that we're trying to do is all of our team of um, recovery connectors they're all in recovery they've all got a I mean they're all highly experienced in other areas of the life like you yeah. know like yourself you're a um, you know mental health nurse we've got some of our recovery connectors are training to be counsellors some of them are at social workers some of them have got a teaching degree you know yeah. it, the highly experienced people who who've just decided that actually that old way will not work in, And they've been given the gift. I think you do have to have a gift of desperation, you know.
1: Yeah, you've got to have it knocked out of you. And, you know, you've got to make the mistakes and have it knocked out of you, certainly. I mean, but.
0: Yeah.
1: When new, One of the things I always try as well to say to new people is, um, people are inherently good. If someone says to me, I've got a problem, I don't know what to do. My first response is often, what do you think you should do? just saying that makes them uh, well. Actually, and and they want to be responsible. They want to be good. Very often they'll come up with their own answers and go, "Well, I want to do this," and I'm like, "Well, what's stopping you?" But well, I haven't got that on, and you enable them to do what they want to do. Actually, you know, and this is real, this is all research stuff as well. Like Carl Rogers, the potential to be a functioning human being is in every everybody we're all growing towards our potential in one way or another. We get thwarted by drinking drugs to one way or the other, but ultimately, people know they want to be good. Mm. That's what brought us into meetings, because we knew there must be something better than the way I'm living. Mm. We don't know what it is, we just know that it's not that. And we go on researching things. so, you know, what was it, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but there were, humanism years ago was invented, by a guy called Carl Rogers in the 40s right and I know this may or may not be interested, but when he, he was a really clever man he had good friends with Jung who wrote a lot about faith and recovery and alcoholism. When he was about 14, he watched people going to church and he realized although that wasn't his cup of tea, there was something in what they were doing. So he looked they lived on a farm in the Midwest of America. And he went down in the basement, and there are these potato seedlings. And he noticed there was a crack of light coming in from the side. And one potato sprouted, not up, but sideways, and it stayed in the beam of light. And it suddenly dawned on him that in every living thing, there is the potential to want to grow and reach your potential. There's an innate power in everything alive to want to stretch towards becoming whatever it can become. Our job, my job as a nurse particularly, is to get in touch with that power and make sure that they're doing it in the light and not in the darkness. Yeah. So what is it priests say? If you don't worship in the sunshine and the spirit, you'll worship in the night. Mm. That's what they say. You're going to do it anyway. You're growing anyway. Yeah. What direction do you want it to be? And that was, that's one of the things, when I talk about faith and power from inside me as a nurse, I use their own fear, it's against them, to explain, but that was Rogers. And um, I won't go on too long, but I love it. There's one, there's a guy called Piaget who was an an educationalist. He watched children in a playground. And if anything shows that people are good, this does. He watched 14 month old babies in a playground. They'd never been taught, they can't even speak. And he watched them begin to play games and they split into groups. And they begin to make rules to make the games fair. And they began to do weird things like take turns and make sure the little kid had a go mm. and the weak kid had a go. And if someone fell over and cried, the whole playground quiet went quiet and they waited until an adult come picked the baby up, too and then they all started murmuring. And what he, what he reasoned was that morals are something that are inbuilt. We, before anyone's taught us anything, we want to do the nice thing. And that's proven psychological baseline theory. PRJ was years ago. Yeah. So we're not doing, when well, it's not rocket science, this stuff. All we're doing to other alcoholics is asking them to reach the potential they've already got. Yeah. We just want to help them. We just want to say, well, where do you want to go next? Like, Can I help? Yeah. Maybe I've got something in my experience that will help you. get flat or get a job or training
0: yeah 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 and and we often we we act as the light don't we i mean that's what i say to people we don't do stuff to people we don't act as a um clinicians or anything like that we're not giving people stuff we're basically saying look this is our experience we know that you've got potential and what we're willing to do is get alongside you if you're interested in change, if you're interested yeah. in putting the work in, because it's going to be tough. There's work to be done, but we'll get mm. alongside you and we'll shine a light, either my light or Kenny's light or Donna's light or somebody's mm. light that we can connect you with. So what I do is I use that instinct that that I believe is God-given to, to, to understand the person that I'm talking to and mm. find out what it is that's going to help them to achieve their greatest potential and often people I've never I mean I had one girl for instance I was working with and she'd been in treatment 16 times Kenny she'd been in treatment she'd got that that disillusioned and family were devastated and she came from a a good family Mm. Um, family devastated because every time she came out of this treatment system she relapsed and um a family that fed up, they moved without telling her where they'd gone. I mean, they were that... I know, and it sounds extreme, you've but, a you know... Laugh, you've got a laugh, right, when
1: you go home and there's no one
0: there. Yeah, nobody was there. It was like they'd moved and they'd not told her. So to get back at um, she she moved into a graveyard. She thought that that would teach them a lesson... Needless to say, it didn't work out well for her. And she came to me broken and she said to me, somebody's told me that you might be able to help me. So I said, um, and she started to tell me about a drinking and a drug taking. And I said, to be honest, I'm not really interested in how much you drink and drug. And she said, why should every single person that I've ever come into contact wants to know the content of what drinks and drugs are? I said, well, it's obviously not working. You're living in a graveyard. You've not seen your family for two years. I said, what I want to know is what are your hopes and your dreams? And you know something? She looked at me for the first time. She, she picked her head up and she looked at me and she just burst out crying and she said, No one's ever asked me that.
1: Yeah.
0: But I, I don't know. And she said, I really all I know is that I want to, I really, really need to know how to s- stay stopped. And I said, Well, that is a good thing because I can help connect you to a whole bunch of wonderful people who can help you understand that yeah and then once she'd started to get the, the gist of the length she had to go to to, to get into recovery because it is it is a tough job at the beginning there's a lot of changes um once she started to stabilize we then found out what what her hopes and her dreams were and she was like you know i can't do anything i've not got any and i went everything is possible what are you interested in? What were you interested in as a little girl? And she said, "Well, art." She said, "But I'm a rubbish painter. And people want to always look at the negative." And I went, "I'm not asking you if you're good at it. I'm asking what, what, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? What you know?" And. Yeah it was such an honour and privilege to get alongside her, now that's just one person, so the the idea is is that what we do is we operate as a community where there's lots of people like you and me in Kev and we get alongside all of these people, we don't do it for them, I'm not the artist, I don't pick up the paintbrush and do it for them
1: you know, but there's so much potential I get to people at work, I say to them, what I'll do is I'll match your effort, and you can't get better than that, if you need 100% if you put in 10%, I'll put in 10%. That means you're running on 20 yeah. You need to put in at least 50% effort to run on 100 because I'll do the other half. What I'll do is I'll match your effort. But there's pointless me doing it for you if you're not doing it. Yeah. And that's the kind of elbows out kind of love I was talking about. You kind of have to be a little, you know, I'll never judge someone if they don't do it or don't want it because there's one thing about alcoholics and addicts is we never shoot our wounded, do we? We understand what, what it's like. I The truth is, when well, I went to a doctor once, and uh, he said I'm going to reduce your prescription, and I got really scared and really angry. I said, "Don't you dare touch my prescription!" He, and he said, "But I think you can come off." And I said, "Don't touch it." I got scared because he had hope for me. That's how hopeless I felt. I, I just didn't think it was possible. So I understand when people don't want to do it. they don't. You've, just, you've got to sometimes spend a bit of time making them understand that it is actually possible. And then when they buy into it a bit, then you can do other stuff. But the truth is, many failures on the road to success, aren't there? You can't just... We're all different. Some people try and get in, some people try for you. I'm one of the ones who tried repeatedly yeah. and had to overcome many, many failures. And thank God other people in meetings and fellowships and stuff like yourselves kept me alive until I was ready. Yeah. Those spells of being sober and failing. Yeah. Mm. So there is no failure. There's not trying. Yeah. But there's no failure.
0: There's no such thing as failure. And I often think as well, you know, people are very quick to judge addiction. Um, you know, my dad was a diabetic. Um and he was a lovely man, absolutely lovely man. And no matter how many times he told him he wasn't allowed to eat sugar, mm-hmm. well, he'd have a really good spell. He'd be on it. He'd be like, right, I'm doing this. I'm going to eat dead healthy. And then he would relapse, and he would have a massive binge. Mm-hmm. Now nobody, nobody ever sort of judged him for that. It was just like, oh gosh, Harold, you know what are you like, and and he would suffer, you know, and struggle. But the thing is, is there was so much more acceptance around his journey. You know, he eventually got there and understood a lot more about himself. But it was through making those mistakes and making himself ill that unfortunately was the biggest learning for him. Mm. You know, so I think what I really would love to ask people to do is just to have a little bit more compassion have a little bit more understanding and um, there isn't a moral failing these aren't people that are bad people you know when people have got addictions they become poorly you know and they need to get well Um, they don't need they don't need judgment they don't need criticism and this is why I'm really passionate about family recovery as well you know we've got that coming across the bottom here about different family fellowships it's so important that family members understand how they can support the loved one's efforts that they're putting in I didn't know nothing about it until Kevin started to get into recovery he was the one that started going to meetings first I was a to anything to do with me i certainly didn't think i had a problem i thought he was my problem and it was only by going to family support 12-step family support that i realized the enormousness of what it was that i had to change as a family member there was so much
2: work i had to
1: do on myself Um, i had this period where it suddenly dawned on me one day that i was putting 100% of my efforts into the one area of the of my life that I had no control over, everyone else's half. It was their fault, if I could get them to do this, if my mum had just given me that 20 quid this morning, if my friend had said this, if she hadn't left, and I put no effort at all into the one half of life I had total control over. My half. So if I'm in a situation where I haven't done anything wrong, there's still a benefit to looking at my half because it's the only thing I've got that I've got control over. There is no point in... And families don't know that, do they? They very often get so... They think... My mum used to think, what have I done wrong? Yeah. And I, I just said, mum, you haven't done anything wrong. Just leave yeah. me alone. You know, the, she blamed herself. Yeah. No one taught her, never mind what Kenny's doing. I know it's sad. because what you're doing, you could behave in a way that makes his using and drinking Really difficult. Mm. But no-one taught that. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you're talking about with families. Um, Love can be quite prickly sometimes, but it's still love. Yeah, Sometimes you've got to do what people need because you love them, rather than just do what they want. My idea of love when I was an addict is you've got to do what I ask, what I want. That's not really love. That's subservience, isn't it? That's like something else. It's guilt often. I mean, for me...
0: You know, for me, when, when Kev was really poorly, I used to feel guilty that I wasn't doing enough. And right, because,
1: isn't
0: it, to families? it is, it, and it comes from it comes from lots of places, but and let, you don't know what you don't know. So for mm. me, it was really important as a family member that I understood that actually the only, somebody said to me at my very first meeting, and it was one of the most profound things that anyone's ever said, and it was dead simple. And it was like, every time you point that finger at, at Kevin, and um, what a blaming for the way your life's turned out. Remember, there's three fingers pointing back at you and one at the solution. And this old lady said, now now get your shit together. She yeah. said, the only one you can do anything about is yourself. Yeah, take like action. Yeah. And she said, you can only do it with, with outside help. She didn't mean it like a God thing, you know, but something no, yeah. But and she you know something? It was it was a, a revelation. It was what I call a moment of cl- clarity. That some, yeah. And it was harsh. I hated her for saying it to me. I don't think I ever spoke to that woman again. <laughs> but yeah. you know what? It's one of those gifts that I give to people freely. And I'm sure there'll be people watching today that will really identify with that. And it will be like a bit of a slap in the chops. Mm. But you know what? Families really need the support and guidance and love and understanding Um of other people around them, like we do as recovering addicts. Family members need that too. Um, Sometimes it's just an
1: arena, isn't it? Somewhere to go to get away from being, have a cup of tea. Yeah. Get people who know and care. Yeah. Yeah. I remember once watching a couple of mums talk and I could see they lit up because they both had children who were in, who were, one was in prison and one was on the streets using. And they were all having a really sad time of it. And I remember they got together, and I watched them talking. It was at work, and uh, something happened in that interaction. You could you could see the spark of like, oh, and they they began to engage with each other like they'd met someone who understood. But because it's a very isolating illness, addiction. Now, by its very nature, you don't, as a mum, you wouldn't want to go and tell anyone what's going on, would you? You just. Yeah. want to. Retreat, And what, what my mum used to do is retreat and blame herself. She internalised it. You know, um, I think a lot of people
0: do. And the hardest, pe- in my experience, when I worked at the Priory, the hardest, pe- I worked specifically with family members, mm. um, and the hardest people to help were family members. Yeah. And especially family members, parents, um, mums and dads, of kids that have got addiction problems. And I get it now. I didn't actually get it at the time because I didn't have children. But I get yeah. it now. I've got kids. We've got yeah. kids. And I get it now. Yeah. It's like it's intrinsic part of being a, a parent that you feel this absolutely um, unconditional love and responsibility. Yeah. And sometimes when you're the parent of an addict, there's a whole new Thing that you've got to learn that that sort of didn't come with the rule book that you didn't actually get with the kid anyway.
1: No, they don't come with instructions, do they? <laughs> no.
0: But I, I've loved absolutely loved listening to you and love talking to you. Is there anything that you want to say, Kev, before we um, before we finish up? Because I know Kenny's got a um, a
2: meeting. Shortly. I just want to say um, to Kenny, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, I am sure that. Um, what you've been saying today as such people um and uh, as i said always a privilege um to to listen to a person's story like that thank you very much well, mm-hmm.
0: you, you can see some of the messages that have been coming through kenny um, um,
1: yeah girl, yeah a couple of lovely messages yeah
0: people there's a lot of love for you you know we know i know that the lens that you go to to help people um you know there's a lot of people that are um, messaging that obviously have been touched by what you've said today, but also by touch, touched by the lens that you go to in the community. Well,
1: what, what is it they say that in, in meetings, uh, carry this message, and if you have to, use words. <laughs> it means, like, nothing's better than actually doing it. Yeah. You know, you can, anyone can talk about it, can't they? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But thank you for being visible. Thank you for being... And, oh, right. and and honest, and thank you for being part of our lives.
1: We love you to yeah, be. I'm, while you're talking, I'm looking at the messages, they're so sweet. I yeah, uh,
0: yeah. you know, people are really touched. You know, thanks, yeah,
1: and, Katrina. Just put a message on
0: there, bless her. She did well, done, guys. We love Katrina, um, oh, love like love Katrina. and yeah. um, Steve said as well. Hang on, what Steve said. Um, excellent discussion, everyone. Hang on a minute. There it is. Don't know why it's not coming up. I'm pressing buttons and it's not working. But that doesn't surprise me. No. But, yeah, there we go. Excellent discussion, everyone. Thought pro- Really thought provoking and honest. Oh, and, and if that's what we've done today, is just plant a few seeds. Uh, you know, our work here is done. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for being part of it, Kennedy.
1: And I'm sure. I'm going to say it for you. If you ain't already liked Kennedy Street on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever else you are in the universe, you should like it. Yeah, I do. I'm connected to all your bits and pieces on there. Yeah, I make at work at Backhandy Street on Twitter, our work one is Twitter. Okay, that's the one I do for nurses. So, but I, 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 I've got this real passion to help professionals, nurses, and doctors who are in recovery because they have to be quiet about right? it. So, everything you put on Twitter, I retweet to all my nurses. It's amazing. Would you would you give them my love and say
2: thank you?
0: Yes. Please do, and and absolutely wholeheartedly. If there's anything that we can do, me, Kevin, and all of the team that we've got are volunteers and recovery connectors. If we can, if we can help spread spread the good news that actually there is support out there, and that yes. we can help one another, and that we can, um, you know, give do we're, we're more than happy to help in any way. You know that. Um, yeah,
1: of course, I know.
0: Chat talk, discussions we can do anything and we can do it virtually as well we've been doing a lot of workshops um, and yeah. a lot of talks um closed meetings so if anybody is touched by this um chat that we've had today and you want to come and get involved in what we're doing at kennedy street or if you want to come to one of our workshops we've got a discovery recover discover recovery workshop for mm-hmm. anybody who doesn't have any clue about recovery and that's family members as well individuals who want to come and hear from people with a lived experience of recovery we run those workshops regularly so um yeah please get in touch and like i said kenny there's anything we can do to help you and uh, those. Yeah,
1: I, no yeah thank you guys i really appreciate it thank you kenny i'm thank not you. Any time anyway already thank you lovely to see you bye, bye. 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 Kennedy Street,
0: please visit Kennedy Street at www.kennedystreetcio.org. Recovery does exist.